Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny will be having guests, Catherine and Nick North. And the two of them will be talking about their new documentary, Just Another Beautiful Family. So tune in and hear the story of how they fell in love, became a blended family with five kids, and navigated Nick's gender transition from female to male. And now I welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I am your host, Sunny Joy McMillan, and we're here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on both Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. KKNW in Seattle and 103.3 KPCA in Petaluma, bringing you amazing guests and resources that will help you create a life filled with peace, joy, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines no matter what state you're in. Uh, you can always access the show archives at 1150kknw.com and find the show on iTunes and Podcast One as well. And just a quick disclaimer that the views expressed here are not necessarily the views of Petaluma Community Access, KPCA Radio, or its board of directors, volunteers, staff, or underwriters. And uh, you can find out more about me through my website, which is goldenoversoul.com. And so we will just jump in here pretty quick. But Benny, I want to do a check-in with you. How are things in Seattle? Hey, doing pretty good up here. Bright and sunny and beautiful. Yay! And uh, this is only our second time simulcasting, Woo! so I'm still feeling yeah, Man, a little show jittery, number like, two. Number know, two. Nobody right. like, yeah. yay! <laughs> no one has run into the studio here screaming that uh, nope. I, you can't hear it or I did something wrong nope. on board. So. <laughs> Okay, it'll become easier and easier, I'm sure, each week. Of course, week. <laughs> of course. And now I feel like, Vinny, I've got a little bit of a taste of your world. Uh, ah. I know this is a tiny sliver of what you manage Aww. there in Seattle. But to have a big old console in front of me with crossfade, volume buttons, and all of the things, and make sure that what's on air is what we're hearing. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, uh, I can't imagine how long it took you for it to become like muscle memory for you and <laughs> just second nature where you can operate as we said last week, I 10, think it's, yeah, uh, yeah I've been doing this for, gosh, this is probably like my 20th year professionally. If you kind of go back and forth from like the days of college, you know, and getting into it. But it's like you just got to act on it. You just got to go for it. And, you know, you figure it out, you know, as far as interviewing. It's the same thing. You just kind of ask the questions. If you feel it out, you just go for it. So when I was taught running the board, you've got to act fast. And then like you're too fast yeah. or you're too slow. If you're going too slow, you're like, you know, you just got to be up on it. Yeah, well, I I feel honored to be learning a little bit yeah. more about your world here um, well, on my end. <laughs> you do great. It's like taking action. Just take that action like you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's what we're doing. And, Boom. you know, I think that really feeds in beautifully to what we're going to be talking about today because yep. our guests today have taken some uh, actions that for some would be pretty big and pretty scary, but it is inspiring mm-hmm. to those who get to witness mm-hmm. and I think um, provide faith and hope for folks out there who want to make big changes in their life. So with that segue, we will bring on uh, our guests for the day. They are first-time filmmakers Catherine and Nick North. Um, they fell in love, turned their worlds upside down, and lived to tell about it. And I'll just give you a little bit of a bio on both of them together about what we'll be talking about today and then tell you about each of them separately, and then we'll bring them on. So um, Catherine and Nick's first joint project is this personal documentary that we're going to be talking about today about how they fell in love, became a blended family with five kids, and navigated Nick's gender transition from female to male. Um, Their short documentary, Just Another Beautiful Family, premiered at the Calgary International Film Festival, it feels like just moments ago, and won the Audience Choice Award for Alberta Short in September. Um, This is the first of many projects they hope to do together, in addition to co-parenting, driving the minivan, and doing the dishes. Um, This is part of their Beautiful Families project, which shares stories about all sorts of underrepresented and non-traditional families. Because, as they say, every family is a beautiful family. And if you would like to know more, you can go to the website Beautiful Families Project. That's Beautiful Families Project, um, and I believe that is a .com. I did not put that in my notes, so <laughs> Catherine or Nick, jump in if I got that wrong. Yeah, um, no, that's it. Okay, very good. And so now just to tell you a little bit of bio on each of them separately, um, because they each do amazing things in the world um, in their own right, and of course when they come together, they make beautiful magic like this film. But um, just for background, Nick North is a husband, a dad to five kids, and a branding strategist. He also has a history of living as a woman, a wife, a mom who birthed four children, a photographer, and a corporate type. 
when Nick embraced his identity and came out as transgender, he realized just how much gender affects the way we think, talk, sell, and function. He now speaks from his experience on both sides of the gender coin, giving keynote speeches and workshops that empower both men and women to live authentically and powerfully while also making more money following their passion and their gut. He also works with brands and companies to help them be the best versions of themselves. You can find out more about him separately at nicknorth.co. And on social media, you will find him as Epic Danger, which I love. And then, of course, Catherine, who I have known. That's actually how I know this wonderful couple um, is through Catherine, who I met several years ago. Um, so Catherine North grew up as a missionary kid, yet is now a foul-mouthed, heathen, heathen mystic life coach, queer feminist, and a mother of five married to a trans man. She changed her name to Catherine North north at age 42 just because she wanted to and is that allowed um yes it is and she's here to prove it uh she might be the only life coach in the world who doesn't believe in the law of attraction um that is a show for another day Catherine. i want to talk to you about these things <laughs> her clients are ambitious successful and too smart for most of the self-help aisle but they secretly yearn for more magic more peace and more grit she helps them be bigger and braver than they ever thought they'd need to be through a process she calls declaring dominion more than three thousand women have used her Queen Sweep program to clear their lives of clutter. She teaches also sensitive empaths to set energetic boundaries and practical magic for secret mystics. And she also helps kindred spirits become, um, and I can't actually say the name of this program. I'm so sorry, Catherine, based <laughs> on FCC and our own Petaluma regulations. Apologies. So Yes. No, don't, please don't apologize. This is, you know, this is the joy of live radio that we have a little bit stricter regulations than we do, but um, you can find out about this uh, program. We'll just give a little teaser there by going to her website, declaredominion.com and find her on social media at declaredominion.com. So th these are the people that we are going to be talking to today. Uh, Catherine and Nick, welcome to the show. We are so super grateful to be here. Thanks Thank, for having us. Yeah, thanks yeah. for having us. Well, when I saw that your film was debuting uh, and premiering at the the uh, film festival there in Calgary, I thought, oh, I could not wait because I've been I'm on your newsletter, Catherine, and so when Aww. I you know all the lead up to this, and I thought I cannot wait to see this, and then when I actually was able to watch it, that's when I reached out and was like, I've got to talk to you all because you know I follow you on social media and I get to see the happenings in your life, but to actually get to see this film, which takes it to a whole new level of intimacy and reflection on who you all are, I thought, oh, this is perfect. I cannot wait. I hope they will come on the show and talk to me about all of the things. <laughs> well, we are here and I am blushing so hard. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, why don't you just give us, because I've known you or at least known you through a couple of iterations. And so tell us for those out there who don't know you, how can you summarize how, the story of how you met, how you came to share life together and where to where that leads us here today? Yeah, we met in the mountains, uh, the Poconos Mountains um, in Pennsylvania at a, a conference for entrepreneurs that was in a, in a summer camp for fun. Uh, and that was not my idea. It was not my idea. I'm like, take me to a five star hotel. That's my idea. But yeah. Meeting Nick was fun. Yeah. And at the time, I was pregnant and uh, married. married and was living as a woman. And Catherine became my instant best friend. Um, we just sort of like, we're like, oh, I know you. Come here. Mm -hmm. You're a, you're, we're friends. And we kind uh, of recognized each other. Yeah. And we were really, really, really good friends for maybe a couple, like a year and a half, two years until we realized, oh, stink. We're in love. This isn't, <laughs> this is not good. Uh, and then I was secretly in love with him and it turned out I was secretly in love with her. It was but, from the so very we were beginning. Like, it's, it was safe because she was straight and I, I was married and like all was well. But then we realized, oh, cr crumb, you know. Uh, <laughs> nice safe. We're nice being safe. very aware of language today. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, crumb. Okay. Oh, crumb. And crumb. so we had to change our lives. We had well, we had to decide to change our lives and we did. Uh, and then we blended our families and we, you know, uh, moved Catherine countries and we made things that were messy, you know, uh, somewhat orderly again, and we put our lives together here. And then as that was happening, um, I sort of came back to the knowing 
that my the gender that I was living in wasn't true to who I was inside. And so we navigated that as well. And then here we are now. You say that, says, and we navigated that as well. Yeah. <laughs> so well, I mean, the film tells you how that happens. Yeah, so. exactly, exactly. So, yeah, and that's what we'll unpack today. And mm. I just have to say at the outset, um, when I look at the photos and, and, of course, in the documentary, that's really an inside look into your home. And no matter where you all have lived, or, and, and Catherine, you as well, like how your home is so beautifully appointed, stylish, tidy, and you've got five children running around. I don't understand how that is possible. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's hilarious is of all the things that have come out of the film, this is the thing that people are always asking me. They're like, okay, <laughs> your house doesn't really look like that, right? Um, and of course, we have five kids. It can get trashed in like 30 seconds flat. They can do immense damage. But I've been teaching this program called The Queen Sweep for like, I don't like almost 10 years now. And it's all about how to get like small input, big impact in terms of keeping life orderly and beautiful and streamlined. And so some of what you're seeing is just, uh, that's me practicing that for 10 years. And it it's also that I'm a little bit, um, I'm like, I like things a certain way as well. Like I think that I'm naturally, I'm naturally, nice I'm naturally particular to begin <laughs> with. And so for me, it is, uh, it is just like a, I, I keep my house reasonably uh, particular. And yeah. so it gets trashed and we clean it up and it gets yeah. trashed and we clean it up. <laughs> but most of it is, is Catherine's queen sweep, if we're being honest. And our yeah. kids have learned to do it too. And we've just sort of like. We do these things called swoops where we put on music and we put on a timer for five minutes and everybody just like. Mad dash cleans. Yeah, like whew, we just whoosh through the house as quickly as we can, and at the end of five minutes, wherever we are, we're just we stop and we're done. And oh. even the even the four year old loves it. Yeah, he asks sometimes to do it. Can we swoop my room, mommy? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, yeah, I guess your life is a living testimony of how effective your methods are. It sure does look like. Um, well, so let's you know let's go ahead and talk about um, the film, and I want to just start by asking. This is the, the beautiful families project that you all started. Tell me how that came about and how the film actually came about as a result of that, this project for showing non-traditional and under, uh, underrepresented families. Yeah. Um, so this is something that happened when we'd all been living together for a couple of years. So, you know, I went from being a happy solo mom of one in Portland, Oregon, to being a married suburban mom of five. Oh, uh, you know, minivan and all big transitions. Um, Nick had, you know, reassembled or unassembled one life um, and put it all back together. And then we had joined our lives. So we had already been through, you know, a few big transitions, right? Like totally re kind of recreating our lives and our families together. Um, and then I would say in many ways, Nick's transition was just one more piece of that. Um, so he had transitioned, he had come out to the world as a man, and we were sort of living in that new reality. And through that, we found this amazing group called Skipping Stone, which is this nonprofit that supports transgender and non-binary uh, youth, and actually now adults too, here in Calgary. And we were at this event, this like fundraiser event. It was at night and we were all dressed up and our kids were there with us. And there was this beautiful teenager on stage I can't even tell the story without getting all like yeah, <laughs> And I did not stand up and shout in that ballroom. That would not have been appropriate. <laughs> but from that moment, it was like that was this the seed. It wasn't a seed, it was more like a fire. You know, it was this this burning desire to like show the world and in particular these beautiful transgender kids and their parents who love them so much and who are so scared for them, who are so worried for them. Yeah. I just wanted to show them like, you know what, it can all be okay. It 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 can work out. And when Nick had started to talk to me about his true gender identity, we we were terrified. We were super scared. We didn't know what it meant. Um, it wasn't something that we were very educated on or familiar with. And so I of course went down a Google wormhole. And it was a really scary wormhole. Most of the stories out there about transgender people focus on the struggle and the discrimination. And those are real and true and very, very important. But I just wanted one story about a family with kids who was happy and healthy and thriving. 
I just wanted to know that like it could all turn out okay. And I, I really couldn't find that story. This was a few years ago. There are more stories out there now, but I couldn't find it. And so we decided to make it. We decided to show our story. Mm. Yeah, and now that you have uh, shown your story, now that you have the Beautiful Families Project, have you found people coming to you, drawn to you all in the project to offer up their life stories and their families for to be a part of it? Uh, we are having a lot of people reach out and saying, thank you so much for sharing your story. It looks like mine or it looks like uh, one that I could hope to have. And there, mm -hmm. it's this, been this really wonderful thing actually where we have been able to connect with a lot of other families that are just like us who are thriving, who are doing wonderfully. But uh, those aren't the stories that like get, you know, broadcast everywhere. Those are the, those people are just carrying on living their lives. And so it's been really wonderful to be connected with this sense of community, um, with being able to find other people that, that feel like us and even other people that are like, oh, I know what it's like to feel so different. Um, you know, whether it is, there's a, a local family who, here who adopted a uh, beautiful little Indian girl and they feel different all the time because they're the one family with the, you know, kid of color in our small, very white suburban town. And they were like, oh, there was, there were pieces there where we could see that are like, we know what you mean. We can see yeah. ourselves represented even in this because yes, we're not trans, but we are a little bit different. And the, the thing that makes us different, the thing that makes us, you know, unique is also the thing that makes us beautiful. And that's, that's the, the big point of all of this for us is that all these different families that are on, on the outskirts that feel like, oh, we're not, we're not normal. And that's in air quotes. We're not, in we're not typical. We're not like all the other families. We don't have exactly two kids and a dog and a white picket fence and a mom and a dad and, you know, a minivan and, a Prius. We don't have those things. And so therefore <laughs> we're not like everybody else. But the truth is, is that there are, every family is, is beautiful and every family has something that's going on that's different. And usually that thing is this thing that make, that they're so uh, ashamed or embarrassed of, or just want to hide and just make everyone just pretend like it's not there. But it actually really is the thing that makes them so beautiful and unique and gorgeous and worth celebrating. And whether that is a family that's raised, that's just a grandma raising kids, or whether that is a chosen family, or whether that's a family with two dads, or a family with kids with a disability, or whatever version of not your cisgender, heteronormative, stereotypical suburban family is, we want to show that those families are beautiful. And that actually there's probably more of us than there is of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's what I, I really like is that this is opening up the conversation um, uh, for everyone to bring what they have that makes them unique and awesome to the table. Um, and I want to actually, you know, we've given kind of the overview about the project and the film um, and your story, but I would like to really dive into some of the things that you explore in the film um, around your story. Um, and, and you alluded to this earlier, Nick, but I'm curious, you know, when did you first realize that your outsides didn't match your insides? Yeah, I knew when I was a kid, I knew like as a little kid that I was being stuck in the wrong line sort of thing. Like, oh wait, I should be over there with the, with the other, with the boys over there, or I should be able to be, you know, playing that game and I keep getting put in this bathing suit or this, these clothes and being given Barbies or this, you know, and it didn't line up. And it was sort of probably around seven that I realized that like, oh, this is never going to line up for me. Um, and I had a conversation with my grandma and she was just like, listen, kid, like, this is just what it is. <laughs> and it wasn't, I don't think that I had words. I couldn't, I didn't know that I was transgender. I didn't know that transgender was a thing. I thought that I was the only broken person in the world who's mm wasn't made properly. Um, because in the nineties, that's like, that would be early nineties. I was born in 85. So like, I, I didn't know that trans people existed and I can think back now and be like, Oh yeah. Like Chaz Bono came out when I was like in high school or something like that, or in junior high or some things, but he was ridiculed and everyone just talked about how he wasn't a real man. And so, okay. Uh, and then, Laverne Cox was probably the next version of like a public trans person where I was like, oh, this could exist. This is, there's people like me out there. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and I don't know what rock I was living under, but such is life, you know? <laughs> but I mean, as a seven-year-old, not only did you not have the language, but I don't think any of the people who loved you had the language either. And everyone always is like, well, when did you know? And it's, when you describe it, it almost sounds like it's not that, there's not like there was a moment when you knew, oh, I'm a boy. It was more like there was a moment where you knew, oh, I'm I'm not going to be allowed to be the boy that I actually am. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and it's so interesting. I was actually just reading an article this morning um, about uh, a, a French researcher who has been looking at matriarchal societies for years and seeing the differences between um, matriarchal and patriarchal societies. And um, one of the interesting ones that she highlighted was, uh, and I may say this wrong, so my apologies, but either the Yucatan or Juchitan clan in Mexico, they actually choose their gender and go to their mother and say, I am a boy or I am a girl. And then from that moment on, that is honored and that is what they are called. Um, and I think, uh, I, Beautiful. I just, right. <laughs> oh my goodness. I love that. Yeah, I thought so. And I just thought, you know, I, I am curious just from where you sit, either anecdotally or research that you all have done, but how many people do we think out there are born where they realize at some point that their outsides don't match their insides. I'm, I'm, I don't know if there's an answer to that or if you guys know or not. Well, statistically, the research that we have right now states that about 2% of the population is trans. However, that is that number is growing. Uh, and it's not because trans people didn't exist and now it's trendy or whatever. It's just that the access to it and the safety is there in a way that it wasn't before. Um, and I think there are, I think that like gender is probably a spectrum. I think that uh, some people are all, all dude and some people are all femme and there are lots of people that sort of float in the middle and we used to have to pick a side. And now we're finally getting the freedom to say like, oh wait, we get to be like introverted extroverts. So why can't we be like non-binary binary folk? Like we can choose all these other ways of, ex that sounds very, like I'm uh, being just very flippant with it. But I just mean that like, we get to decide who we are in all these other sorts of ways. We get to to say, oh, I'm a little bit of this or I'm a little bit of that, but we don't ever get to actually examine our gender and like, who are we as a whole and who, where do we fit in this whole scheme of it? And we're, we're told from this young age, like, no, you're either a boy or you're a girl and here's what a boy looks like and here's what a girl looks like. And there's no room for variance. There's no room for complexity. Complexity, yeah. yeah. Or like, like I am very femme. I, I feel like a woman. I love being in a female body. And yet in so many ways, I am much more uh, fit that kind of traditional man stereotype. Like, she never notices when I get my hair cut. It's true. <laughs> I'm always having to be like, hey, babe, before you send that text, you should say, hi, how are you first <laughs> instead of just your ass. Uh, I'm much more direct in my communication. Like, I, it's interesting. I don't really understand romance, the concept of no. romance. I don't really, I'm not very good at being romantic. She has to schedule it in her calendar. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, but it, it is interesting. And I, I know we're getting close to our break. Um, so, but I do want to ask just one other question. And this definitely goes outside of what is addressed in the film. Um, but I'm asking it um, just because, you know, we tend to be, up, at least at KKNW, um, it's a pretty spiritual audience. And so this is something that I have been curious about because I personally, my own cosmology is that when we're not in these human bodies, we are existing in some ethereal way um, as a soul or a higher self or something. And when we're not in these bodies, I believe that we're a beautiful combination of, of divine masculine and feminine in one being. We're not in a, in a gendered body. And on top of that, I also believe in reincarnation. So I believe I have been male and female along the way in any variety on that spectrum. And so I'm curious, you know, from where you sit, what do you think about about who we really are beneath these little pods that we wear while we're here on earth? You should see us smiling at each other right now. <laughs> question. Oh my goodness. So we have a theory. Yeah, we also believe all the things that you believe. We believe in reincarnation. We actually believe that we have been in relationship over multiple lifetimes in all kinds of different iterations. Yeah. Uh, and we believe 
I personally believe that like, oh, my soul, my spirit is male and um, that I lost a bet or <laughs> that uh, something really terrible happened in a past life. And she was like, listen, all right, you don't even know what this is like. And I was like, it can't be that bad. Uh, and she was like, yeah, you want to see? Let's see how great you are in this world. And I had to come back as a woman. I think that that's probably what happened. Um, <laughs> that's our theory. Yeah, that's, that's our theory. working theory. Is that like, and I'm very grouchy about it. I'm not taking it well. Oh, that's so funny. I'm so thank you for sharing that, by the way, because I know that's a question. I mean, I Catherine, I had an idea you'd be okay with it, but Nick, I don't yeah. know you as well, and so I yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate you answering honestly on that. And on that note, we will take our break. Um, and um, you are listening to Sunny in Seattle. I am joined today by Catherine and Nick North. Um, their uh, film and just another beautiful family recently premiered at the Calgary International Film Festival and won the Audience Choice Award uh, for uh, Alberta Short. And if you would like to know more about the project, you can go to beautifulfamiliesproject.com. And we will be back from our break in just a few, and we'll continue the conversation. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. I'm Dr. Anthony Lazarus, and this is Climate Connections. In some areas of Baltimore, Maryland, the streets are lined with abandoned, boarded-up houses. Lisa McNeely, the city's director of sustainability, says decades of population decline are partly to blame. And beyond that, in part due to the disinvestment in many of our predominantly African-American neighborhoods, we have a deteriorated housing stock. And that means that we've had to demolish some of those buildings, and so we have vacant lots. So Baltimore is converting some of those lots into usable green space. As part of its Adopt-A-Lot program, residents clean and maintain hundreds of vacant lots. Some are now urban gardens or open spaces where communities can gather. The goal is to help revitalize some of the city's underserved neighborhoods. But McNeely says adding green space and planting trees can also help cool neighborhoods. That's increasingly important as Baltimore summers get hotter. We know that certainly for large green areas, you can see that the temperatures are lower and that any place where you have tree canopy is an improvement. So transforming vacant lots can improve residents' quality of life even as the climate warms. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. Learn more at YaleClimateConnections.org. Sunny in Seattle, radio that positively shines. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message sponsored by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. And welcome back to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy, joined today by Catherine North and Nick North. And we're talking about their recent film that debuted at the Calgary International Film Festival, Just Another Beautiful Family. Um, so, you know, before the break, we were kind of talking about our, our own cosmology and where we think all of this fits into a bigger picture. And I, I want to dive back into the film now because I know I've got so many questions um, around your experiences uh, with this. So, you know, Nick, I noticed it, it feels like there is something about your relationship with Catherine that made it safe or uh, a really beautiful place for you to be able to recognize that um, you were transgender. Um, and it was, was that your experience with it or how did that happen? Yeah, I think, um, I think that I had never had the permission to explore my masculinity before. Mm. 
I had never had the permission to be, uh, even though it probably was there, no one had explicitly said, you can't be masculine, I, you know, as an adult, it was the, so it was the socialization in the water that I swam in. And so all of a sudden when I was in a relationship where she was the more feminine one and I was allowed to be the more, uh, masculine, I like butch, whatever version of that you want to say. Um, I, I really, I thrived in it. It was this moment where like every time I was allowed to be the more masculine person in our relationship, it was like something unfurled in me and something like came back alive. And it was this, it was just this like, uh, opening, I think. Mm. Yeah. And then, uh, then on the flip side, you know, Catherine, what, what was it like to fall in love with Nick as he was? Cause you've told us the story about how you met and then, and to know that this person, or at least one aspect of them in physicality was going to change. I, how, how was that for you? It was overwhelming. I mean, I was almost 40 when I fell in love with Nick and I realized I had never actually really been in love before in my whole mm -hmm. life. I had loved yeah. people, but I had never been like, I was like, Oh, this is why they write songs about this. This is why there's a million movies about this. Like, I was yeah. like, Oh, there is a thing. It's true love. Oh no. It's got me. It's got me bad. Bad. <laughs> so we used to sad. say that she thought cheese was like Velveeta. And then someone was like, have a block of sharp cheddar. And yeah. she was like, Oh, this is what yes. I'm about. Have I had that breed. same experience myself. Oh, so I know exactly God. what you're talking about. <laughs> oh my goodness. I was so in love. I was so in love. I still am so in love. Um, but it was that thing where like, I love the way Nick's skin felt. I love the sound of his voice. Um, although I would have used feminine pronouns back then. Yeah. Uh, I loved everything. I loved, you know, the way his mouth tasted. And so when he was like, you know, there, there was this sort of gradual unpeeling process that we talk a little bit about in the film. Um, it wasn't like one conversation, right? Like, Hey, guess what? Um, it was a, it was a series of deep, you know, intense soul searching conversations. And we knew for a while that definitely, you know, being what, a woman feeling femme was not something that fit for him. But I think that I thought for a long time, for a while, that maybe we would sort of float in kind of a, a more uh, gray area. Maybe he would just be non-binary or a little bit just sort of an androgynous, you know, lesbian. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, the sort of... That was her hope and dream. <laughs> yeah. It's true. I did. It would have been much easier for me. Mm -hmm. And in some ways for our whole family, right? If you would sort of stay in that box, but just sort of come right up to the edge. And that was simply not next truth. That was, that was absolutely not what felt true for him. And so when he was like, I, I need to transition, like not just privately between you and me, I need to do it socially. I need to do it um, chemically, hormonally. I need to, you know, change my body chemistry so that it, it fits um, I really had intense emotions about it. And in, in the transgender world, sometimes we are asked not to say that we have grieved the person who's transitioned that can feel hurtful or offensive to the person who's transitioned. And yet I don't know any other way to say it than to say that I really had to mourn the loss of some of the parts of him that I loved most, you know, he, he changed, he's changed radically physically. If you look at photos, he looks different. His voice sounds almost unrecognizable. His skin is different. He has hair on his face and in all kinds of places where there wasn't hair before. Like he is a dude, you know, yeah. he's a guy. Um, and I had to mourn some of the, what I thought person, what I wanted to say, the woman I fell in love with, but I mean, yeah, yeah. it's complicated, right? Mm -hmm. Like even, even I am still trying to express my truth truthfully in a way that is not harmful or hurtful with my mm -hmm. language. And that's, that's the tricky line sometimes. So I had really, really intense feelings about it. Yeah. Um, and it's still complicated. Yeah, I'm sure. But I, you know, when you talk about grief, I, I guess I don't always look at grief as a bad thing. I, why, mm -hmm. why is it bad to experience a transition of, of emotionally, physically of any of, of those things? So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't look at grief as necessarily a, a bad thing, I guess, mm. the way. But and yeah. you know, I wonder how much of that has to do with us being in the personal development world where we're all we're we see grief as sort of this, you know, or life as this ongoing cycle, right? Yes. 
you know, we grieve, we mourn, things die, they're reborn in different forms. But I think if you're not in that world, I wonder if maybe grief only signifies that there's been a death of some sort. And I can uh, understand why that would feel like, well, look, I haven't died. I'm still here. So yeah. partly it might just be about, you know, language and the different ways things resonate depending on which world you're in. No, I think you make a really good point around that, Catherine, because sometimes I forget I live in my little, uh, you know, personal development bubble. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, where it's like, bring the grief on. I love this. Let's change. Let's grow. <laughs> um, yeah, so just before we move on, you know, what what words of wisdom or from your experience, Catherine, would you have for someone out there who is supporting someone who is transitioning or has transitioned? I think the best thing that you can do if you're the partner or a parent or a friend or someone who loves someone who's going through a transition is for you to get your own support system um, that is totally separate from your partner. Uh, you want a therapist or a counselor or a coach or someone who, who is educated. Even many professionals actually are really shockingly ignorant when it comes to this world. So find someone who knows what they're doing. Find someone who's compassionate and find supportive, someone who is, who is LGBTQ, supportive. Yeah. Who's friendly and, and an ally. Um, gender affirming is mm -hmm. what we're looking for. Yeah. Okay, so look for the words gender affirming, <laughs> LGBTQ friendly. Mm -hmm. um, you want to find someone who is not your partner. I think one of the things that we tried to do that made things harder on us both was that we tried to process a lot of this with each other. Mm -hmm. Which makes sense, right? Because that's how this whole conversation started was this intimate conversation between us lying in bed. Um, but the sooner you can bring someone in for you each to talk to with the other person not present, where you get to just be really raw and honest and spill and sort of say all of the messy stuff, ironically, the faster and the more cleanly it will let you move through it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you mentioned a moment ago, a moment ago, you know, uh, as being a parent. And so I know the question that you brought up in the film that everyone wants to know about is, you know, what about the kids? And what I, what about I, the kids? Yes. Oh, did we yes. have kids? Did we? Right? I forgot did about them. Oh, geez. And I have like some of the most beautiful quotes from the, but I'll just, I will let you all tell about that. And then I'll ask about these two little quotes that I pulled if they, if you don't bring them up, because they were just so, so lovely. <laughs> yeah. The kids were our biggest fear, uh, mm -hmm. that like any parent, all we want to do is make their life as easy as possible. Our job is to like, or as good as, as good as possible. Like we want to take away, no one wants unnecessary hardship for their children. Like that's not a thing that people are like, you know what, let's give them some character. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, as humans, our job is to shield them from pain and ouchies and all the things. And I was worried that me being who I truly am would hurt them in some way, that it would cause them pain that that would be just because of me. And that was a devastating thought. And so it was probably the reason why I stayed who I was for as long as I did, I did um, because I just wanted to keep them safe. But it turns out that they really didn't care, actually. They cared a little bit, but um, but for them, they were like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, so can I eat the pepperoni? Can, is this, are you gonna grow a beard? Are you, what, what's happened? All right, cool. Um, all right, like that was it. It was sort of, there wasn't a ton of intense processing because they didn't have any stories about it. No one had told them that being transgender was bad before. No one told them that you couldn't change who you were, they, their understanding was like, oh, well, how does that happen? You'll take medicine and it will make your body, you know, line up with the way you feel on the inside. Okay. And, and like, what do we call you? And the answer was like, whatever you want to, that you will probably, other people will refer to me possibly as your dad or he, or like you'll see you'll, the rest of the world will start to change the way that they see me. And so you might want to change what you call me too. But in a lot of ways, it was just letting them make those choices. And because nothing was taken away from them, if they wanted to call me mom for the rest of their lives, I would have absolutely honored and respected that. They chose not to on their own. Um, but they didn't have a story as to why that wasn't okay. And because they didn't have this story about it, they just were like, cool. This is, this is awesome. And now that they didn't have more questions down the line. Um, and I know that some kids 
feel really differently. They'll, they'll have a sort of like, wait, I won't have a mom anymore or I won't have a dad anymore. But for our kids, I don't know. It just, they knew that you were still going to be there, that you were going to be there every day. You weren't going anywhere. And once they knew that that was there for sure, all of the rest really didn't seem to matter that much. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, go ahead. We were, as I say that, you know, adolescence and childhood is like a cruel time in all of our lives. And like <laughs> kids are mean no matter what. So in some ways, I kind of feel like I set them up to take all the pressure of bullying off of who they are as people and put it on who I am. So like, <laughs> you know, like there's, they're not being made fun of like, you know, our, our kid doesn't get made fun of for having glasses. That's not it. Like that's, there's way easier targets than that. You know, like yeah. it, uh, people are, bullies are there. People are going to make fun of people for things that's part of childhood and adolescence. It's not a good part of it. And we teach our kids to be kind and to be brave and to speak up and, and say something when that happens, but it's going to happen. And so in some ways I feel like it doesn't really matter what it happens about. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the one, the reaction that, that I thought was just so beautiful was one of the kids ask, why did you wait so long? <laughs> It's, yeah. It's, yeah, that, I mean, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, and it was just, I was just so afraid, you know? Yeah, yeah, and then, of course, there's that beautiful moment when you are putting um, your son to bed, and he reaches up and strokes your chin and says, Daddy, Daddy, you're growing a beard, and then immediately looks over at Catherine and says, Mom, are you going to let him keep his beard? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that just, I mean, that just, to me, it epitomized the... If you're going to ask about the kids, just look at that moment. And that right there says it all. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's beautiful. Um, but then, you know, of course, we're that there are some very lighthearted moments with the children. But then then in the film, things turn a little more intense when you uh, decide to go forward with your top surgery. And um, what was it like to I, I assume you knew going in with the film that you would be documenting this surgery and you were. Yeah. Oh, you didn't. Actually, okay, so how did that? How did you decide uh, to do that? Yeah, so top mm. surgery here in Canada is covered uh, and under universal health care, province by province. It varies, and by how much it's covered and what the wait times are and things like that. But um, I had been on a wait list for about three years for top surgery and was just waiting for a date. So it was this sort of thing where it could have been another year it could have happened the year pre like it just was it was just it all depends on OR time and surgery time and things like that and so it we had already gotten the grant and then we got the call saying that I would be having top surgery right in the middle of the filming for yeah. the documentary so we had no intention of the top surgery being part of it in any way shape mm -hmm. or form until we had already pretty mm -hmm. much started filming yeah yeah and then there was no way of avoiding it. So here it is. Do you feel like that was actually a bit synchronistic or looking back on it, would you have done it again? Would you have done that on film again? Uh, I would have done it on film again. Hmm. Um, it, was, it wasn't something that I would have chosen to do, but because it was there, I'm grateful that I have it. It's that thing where I have this time capsule of that, period of time. And, um, I think sometimes we forget what we're capable of. I think as humans, we're like, when we're in the, the very hard, like, uh, mountain that we're climbing, we're like, wow, look how big that mountain is. It's so huge. I can never possibly climb it. It's so hard. It's, it's grueling. This is going to kill me. I'm at the top. Oh my goodness. It's so terrible. I'm coming back down. And then we're like, oh, that mountain wasn't even very big. I am not, I didn't accomplish that much. And I think that having the, um, the moving, like the, the piece that documents how big of a mountain I overcame allows me to hold on to that victory. If that makes sense, it allows me to hold on to the power and the like, uh, accomplishment of that. Cause we only ever hear the triumph stories. We hear the, like, after all the mess has been cleaned up and tidied away, we hear, we hear that. And this caught us just right in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> Big old mess. 
Yeah. And it, it really, I know you had said in the film that you were prepared for the physical recovery. Both of you, it seems like were, uh, you knew what you were getting into, but the emotional part was unexpected. And I was curious, you know, can you say more about that? What was unexpected about it or what made it so difficult? Yeah, I got really depressed. Um, mm -hmm. I think I, you know, post-op depression is a thing. They know that anesthesia affects things. And, you know, my, my acupuncturist says it blocks your energy or something like that. Like it just mm -hmm. sort of, when you go under it completely blocks off a bunch of your energy flowing in a bunch of different places. And I was really depressed and I'm still sort of struggling to come out of that. It's, it was a really hard year. There were complications. So we mm -hmm. knew right away that things hadn't gone quite the way that we had hoped. Yeah. Um, and then his recovery was really unexpectedly physically hard. It took longer. Things didn't go as smoothly as we had hoped. And then it was sort of just a perfect storm. Nick's beloved dog, Stella, died. Mm. Which was just like the a week before surgery. Yeah. yeah. There were just a few things that happened. And, um, you know, this is where we want to walk the line between like being really honest and also preserving, you know, some of our family's privacy, but it was yeah. sort of perfect storm where a bunch of things happened all at once. And it was just like a, like a wrecking ball. Like it, it was really, it was really rough. Yeah. And for me, I'm a really physical person and I, I, um, I process a lot of my emotion and a lot of my feelings and a lot of my stuff through movement. And so just the inability to use my body, I think was harder on me than I thought it would be. Yeah. And then the complications made it so like I still have a pocket of fluid in my right pec that's eight centimeters by five centimeters. Mm. Um, that is just, it's there until I have a revision in April probably. And so there's just, there's all these things where I, it just, life happens and things get complicated. Yeah, absolutely. And so now, uh, let's see. So how, let's see the film, how long ago was the film from where we're sitting right now from when you were living all of this and filming? So the surgery happened October 26th of last year. So it's okay. all almost a year ago. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of like a three month period we filmed over. Okay. And so now, you know, sitting where we are, what have you noticed, Nick, since your transition about the way that you are treated now being, uh, you know, out in the world as a man versus your experience as a woman? I'm just, I, how many people get to live that? And I'm just curious mm -hmm. what that's like. Oh yeah, it's very eye-opening. Um, I say all the time that I I wasn't a feminist until I became a man. Um, <laughs> it's true. I truly thought, and I think that being in Canada, where everyone's just a little bit more polite, they're yes. a little they hide their aggressions a little. It's just like under one layer. And the, the policies, the legislature is much more progressive. It's than true. In the US. We have a fifty percent female cabinet mm -hmm. right now. Like. Uh, it, it is more progressive. But so I thought that it, I, I would always say to Catherine, like, I don't know, feminist just seems like a bunch of angry women. Uh, it's not that bad anymore. Then oh, Steve would Lord. come out of my ears. Yeah, it almost... Oh, my Lord, Steve's coming out of my ears. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I was a woman living in Canada being like, I don't know, it seems fine to me until <laughs> I experienced what it was like to be read as male. And then I was like, whoa, 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 hold up a second. What is even happening here? You mean you just believed what I said just because I said it? You like no one would call me on anything anymore. People would like I could You'd say start talking and people would just stop talking, even if they were in the middle of a sentence. Yeah. And it was like, maddening. If I said something and I used a statistic, no one would be like, Oh, where did that come from? They would just believe that it was, even if I just made it up. Uh like it didn't it didn't matter. It it was this very strange experience to all of a sudden have a ton of value and equity and like presence in a world that I hadn't had before and nothing had changed on the inside of me in my mind. It was just the way that people had were seeing me. Imagine me sitting in the corner yelling, I told you so. <laughs> okay. And then all of a sudden people were complimenting me on how beautiful my wife was. And I was like, wait a second. Um, you shouldn't be telling me that because I actually had no part in that. I didn't dress her. I didn't put her makeup on, didn't make her, uh, doesn't own me. Like I have no part, like <laughs> her attractiveness, nothing to do with it that you should probably go give that compliment over there. Like 
but it was this thing where I was like, oh, because I'm supposed to own her. I forgot. Uh, and it was this thing where people, you know, people ask, well, what does your husband do instead of asking what she does? And it doesn't make me mad at all. No, ever. Uh, <laughs> but there's all these things where now as a dad, if I, you know, just, just for showing up to a school field trip, I'm the greatest parent alive. Where before it was like, I hadn't volunteered it for enough school field trips and I hadn't done enough. If I like brought the kids and they were wearing mismatched shoes, it would be totally fine. Cause I showed up there and I was like the dad that's there. Whereas when I was a mom, I, they could be pristine. And like, if they had, you know, a sock that, wasn't quite it was turned inside out I was probably a failure you know like there's all this stuff that like just because I'm a man all I have to do is show up and I am celebrated for it gosh it's such an interesting perspective that you have that that not many will be privy to and I'm I love that you are using this uh for good <laughs> bringing it forward for everyone to see um, and so I know we're getting close to the end of the hour, but two two things that I just, well, one thing I just wanted to say is I really want to honor you both for modeling for your children, living your truth, um, which to me, I cannot imagine a child feeling more unconditionally loved no matter what, given what you have uh, done in your life. And then also just um, the ability now that I imagine your children will be able to come to you with anything and know that they will be received with acceptance and compassion in a way that I don't think many children feel growing up. Um, and so, yeah, I just really want to thank you and honor you both thank for you. what you're doing. <laughs> you. Thank you so much. And with about one minute left, um, I, you know, um, Nick, I, I wanted to end with a question for both of you. And so if you both want to answer, awesome. We literally have about a minute left. But yeah. if you could speak to your past self um, as the child, the teenager uh, or the young person, what would you want that self to know now? Uh, I would want that self to know that if they were to speak up and tell their truth earlier, uh, it would have felt so scary, but it would have made everything easier. Mm. That sometimes we think that we're protecting everyone by being quiet, but actually we're hurting all the people around us and ourselves. It's the braver thing to do. It's the harder thing to do, but it also is really better for everyone. If I had just been honest earlier, life would have been easier all the way along. Hmm. Yeah. And Catherine, do you want to jump in with anything in our final moments? I don't think I have anything to add to that. I'm just, no. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, I cannot thank you both enough for being here um, today to talk about your film and your life and your family. Um, I have been joined today by Catherine and Nick North. If you would like to find out more about this short film and view it, you can go to beautifulfamiliesproject.com. That's beautifulfamilyprojects.com. Thank you both for being on Sunny in Seattle. Thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. Uh, you have been listening to Sunny in Seattle. And just before we get off the air, the views expressed here are not necessarily the views of Petaluma Community Access, KPCA Radio, or its board of directors, volunteers, staff, or underwriters. I am your host, Sunny Joy. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you next week.